0: Welcome to Fresh Take, your favorite weekly podcast that delivers a healthy dose of information pertaining to healthy lifestyles, organic and sustainable agriculture, and numerous topics related to the environment. Thanks for tuning in. Our industry experts are here to provide you with a fresh take on topics that can help you optimize your lifestyle and well being. Fresh take. On today's episode, we have part two of organic certification with Adam Maxwell and Dan Zaman. On last week's episode, we got into the specifics of organic certification, and today we will continue this conversation. Thanks for joining us. Dan, I have a question for you specifically. As a consumer, you were a consumer first, you know, and you really didn't understand at that time what went behind the label. So now that you transitioned, I mean, you're not just a consumer, you're working within the industry. Knowing what you know now, what are some of the common misconceptions that you had prior to getting into the field just about organic products and what went behind it? And what do you feel like are like the, the most common misconceptions you notice like now when people call to inquire about the certification process, like from both sides, from the consumer standpoint and now from a professional standpoint, what do you think the, the common misconceptions are along the
1: line? That's a great question. So as a consumer, I, I guess I have like two parts of this because I, I grow crops too. Okay. And so I'm a buyer too. It, so
0: you've got it from every, every realm there. For sure.
1: Uh, as a consumer, when I saw that logo, that USDA seal, I assumed that there are no pesticides on the crop. Okay. And while that is not entirely true, there can be pesticides, but they're just not synthetic pesticides on an organic crop. There's still pesticides that we're allowed to use, but they're all, for the most part, naturally derived. Mm-hmm. And um,
2: what's an example of a natural derived pesticide? Can you think of one?
1: Yeah. Pyrethrin is a good one. Which is a plant? It's, yeah, it's, it's extracted it's a, from plants. It's a botanical extract from a plant, from chrysanthemum flowers. I think was yes. the main one. Yeah, yeah. That's considered a pesticide. While it's not as nasty as some of the other synthetic pesticides that are, you know, concoctions, with <laughs> pretty harmful neurotoxins. So that's one misconception I had from the consumer's standpoint.
3: One of the common hangups to getting certified that people just assume is is compost. Compost is heavily reviewed and analyzed and there are a lot of places nowadays that make compost and they go around the community and collect scraps and stuff from cafeterias and, and things that are hard to verify the origin of. Right. And so, while the product is probably really a great compost to use, it's not easily verifiable what the inputs are in the f- the feedstock for compost. So, oftentimes we can't approve it. And I've seen people have issues in the beginning of certification because of composts that were out there that we couldn't review, right, and couldn't approve. That one I think comes up. Wouldn't you agree, Dan? That, yeah. that one. That one <laughs> comes up the a lot. Compost one. Well, is complicated. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't say it's it's a a huge issue, but I see that a lot where people naturally assume that compost is something that's just going to be It's allowed. okay no
0: matter what. Yeah, right? but and not it, knowing what goes it, into that.
3: Right, you know. and it's harder when you go to the store and buy a product if you know somewhat what you're doing. You can look for the OMRI sticker or something, and but with compost y- you don't, and it requires that review. And that can only really be done once you start the application process, because you can't really do it at home and come to a a conclusion that your certifier is going to accept it.
1: Yeah. And to bounce off the OMRI comment, another misconception I hear uh, a lot of growers or people in general think that only OMRI approved products are allowed for use in organics or only a WSDA Mm -hmm. approved product. And actually one thing I was surprised about when I formally worked in this field is how many other products we do allow for use that we just have to review at a case by case basis, and you'd be surprised with how many things that may not be Omri certified or completely acceptable for organic use. This yeah, goes back and, to
2: the, uh, the the scrutiny of the process as I mean, we were talking about, you know, Omri and. Washington State Department of Act, WSDA, that it's another uh, agency that reviews inputs and make sure that they're compliant with the standards and put their seal of approval. So they're doing that work. But when it's not OMRI approved or, or review or WSDA, then the certifier now has to review it. Yeah. And the scrutiny that you guys have to go through to make sure that it's compliant yeah. with the standards, yeah. get all the informa- information right. from the manufacturer, make sure that the process complies with the regulation that it doesn't contain any synthetic ingredients people would probably think compost what's wrong with compost yeah what would be wrong with a compost pile that you know you guys would say that's standards don't allow it
3: well you know the feedstock is there there's levels of uh, what's acceptable and what's not and, and for allowed? one thing what, what was that? paper paper uh not if it, it's dyed Because Uh,
2: some people say, oh, paper, you know, there's some papers now that you can say that you can recycle and that you can put in your compost pile.
3: But we wouldn't allow, you know, a a dyed paper product to be put in there. And so with the scrutiny part, if somebody's getting feedstock from a cafeteria or something, can they verify, can they vouch for the fact that uh, that product didn't exist in that? And most people probably couldn't really say with 100% certainty what was in the product. and. So for that, it's it's um, it's challenging. Um, manure it has right. its own requirements. So if you're using a manure, and now this wouldn't, this wouldn't not allow you to be eligible for certification, but manure in your compost is, you know, obviously fair, very common, but it has to go through uh, a turning and temperature records and for it to be uh, considered allowed as a compost. compost yeah. If it was just applied without those, we would we would consider it a raw manure application. Which means then
2: that there's a restriction of how it's going to be yeah. used, correct?
3: Yeah, the ninety what we call a ninety one twenty day rule. So if it, it you could apply raw manure to a crop no sooner out from harvest than ninety days for for crops that are are not in contact with the soil. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. So like something citrus. like yeah, like citrus yeah. Um, is is a good example. But any crop that is in contact with the soil... Like lettuce. Like lettuce, you can't apply raw manure application within 120 days of harvest.
2: And that's because of uh, a lot of it has to and do pathogens. with pathogens. Yeah. Yeah. In, in exactly. safety. It's not because uh, raw manure, yeah. for you know, everyone listening, especially consumers, animal manures have been part of farming <clears throat> systems forever. Yeah. So, so th- it's not necessarily something that there's anything wrong with it, but it is getting back to some of the things that Public safety farmers can use kind of, yeah. well but farmers because they cannot use synthetic fertilizers then they have to use some you know yep. materials that contain nutrients that the plant in the soil needs and so manures are, is one of those things that they can use
1: that reminds me um, earlier we were mentioning the why does organic food tend to cost more and I think we just touched on that a little bit these organic growers can't just use synthetic fertilizers and have a picture perfect uh, nutrient schedule they kind of have to it's like an art balancing when did I incorporate the manure into the soil, what what kind of compost I'm using, and it, that requires a lot more effort and a lot more cost. Um, labor. Yeah, fi- yeah, yeah, financial yeah. and time and labor um, that goes into it. So that's another reason why it costs more than your conventional counterparts.
0: Because of that, do you get a lot of calls or do you get a lot of inquiries about tra- like transitional organic?
3: There's a good percentage of our clients that have transitional land, so, so of a, lot of, a lot of our clients uh, that are certified may want to incorporate n- new land into their uh, right. operation and they might get a lease of land or or purchase another parcel and either the land isn't eligible because of conventional practices that were on it prior, prior right. or they just can't vouch for the use of the land. And you have to have somebody who can sign an affidavit that says there's been no prohibited substances. and. Uh, whether or not that's happened, you have to have somebody that's going to vouch for it. So if you've only owned the land for a year, and you can't get a hold of anybody of who can, sit, yeah. So right. so sometimes it's transitional, just simply by default because of that. But right. yeah, we will often have land on on a grower's application that is still in transition, and then if they go into our transitional program, we which we. We give out transitional certificates so they right. they have something to show for the, the land that's that in doing, there. Right. Yeah, yes. and once that date reaches the date of eligibility, we can add it to their their um, certificate. But only if it's in the plan because it, that would mean that if it was in our transitional program, that it we're doing a uh, inspection based on that land being. Or, you know, treated as organic. And it's it, the land itself has been seen with, with crops on the ground there, too. And so. and
2: so, because basically, and we've been talking about, you know, the process and, and mentioned certificates, that certificate, which is the end goal of the farmer, is basically a license for them to be able to call their products certified organic, label them as such, use the USDA seal, which, um, you know, Dan has alluded to. Um, and they have to go through this process every year, correct? Every year they must renew their organic certification, be inspected every year. We're trying to make sure, or, or certifiers, I should say, are trying to make sure that they comply with the regulations every year. We've also talked about the process and announced inspection. So it's a lot to it. There's really yeah, a lot to it. it that gets us to that point where the farmer is now certified organic, and then they're selling their crops or their products, and the local grocery store and people now know that there's something not something a lot behind yeah. that label and yeah.
0: saying that uh jc because we have covered so much ground in this conversation so maybe the easiest thing to do let's just give a rundown from you know the beginning consultation to the final certification what are the steps let's i mean for those for our consumers for our farmers like step by step if you had to, to break it down for people what okay. w- what would you say
3: you call up JC and say, hey, what do I got to do? And he sends... <laughs> that's, well, he, that's
0: step one. Well,
3: yeah. And then, you, you know, they'll, we'll send out a packet information that you must fill out. And, right, and this is for if, any certifier. Yeah. If you
0: choose not to go with QCS or any certifier, yeah. you you would call their company. Yeah. You call the company. Inquire about what it takes. Inquire
3: to see if you're eligible. And ask for information see, packet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then from um, there. Get some resources. If you have questions as to whether or not you would be eligible... Maybe talk to Dan or I if we ha- if you had specific questions. Again, we we're kind of limited on what we can tell you to do, uh, but we can tell you if something that you've done is um, you know so it, it meets the the qualifications uh, to to some degree. You know if, if it if it's compliant. And so then- they
2: they choose their uh, certifier. They decide that they're going to go with a certifier. Yeah. One of the things that we sort of touched on is that there's going to be a cost to it
3: which is a, a very reasonable cost here at Qcs and there's also a cost share so for a large portion of the the fees that are associated with your application and yes. your certification process can be uh, subsidized and or you know basically refunded so it's it's really affordable to to do uh, in my opinion especially given the the level of of details that are required, right. but we, you know, you send in your application, you send in fees. We um, go through it. A reviewer would look at the your application, and if there's any questions or anything that we have to follow up on, we would follow up with the the operation, the grower, as to if if there's information we need that wasn't provided, we may have to do um, some input reviews on there. We uh, you know, we may have to send them back part of the application to get re to get things uh, sorted so process, out if there's right. questions. Yeah. And then once it is clear and we've created all our internal documents that are what we use to monitor the fields and um, the inputs and Maps. all that. Yeah. We, once we get everything sort of lined up in, in a nice, neat packet to send to our, our inspectors, then we have somebody that will assign an inspection. And we try to do that in a way that, we because the you don't just have an, an organic inspector in every town. You um, you try to make it so that if you're going to uh, rural Texas, that we try and loop it in with some other people in that area, so we can offer it. At, a, at an affordable cost to so the, the inspector grower the they can cover as much inspection. ground yeah, as possible yeah.
0: while they're traveling. That makes a lot of yeah. sense. So
3: they send them that packet, the inspector goes out there and what they're looking to do is is verify that what was written down on paper matches what's actually happening in the field. Gotcha. And and then they in their own unbiased, you know, observations of the mm-hmm. inspection will fill out the checklist and update the the OSP if it needs be. And, um, and then give them a, you know, a form of, of their exit interview that says, this is what we believe is, you know, going on here. This might be an issue. These are, these are things that they just sort of address right, right so there. Either, hey, everything yeah. is
0: great. Or these are items yeah. that need to be corrected before we can certify you. Exactly.
3: And then it comes back to the reviewer to decide if those are actually issues that, if they're, if they're, if they're legitimate concerns right. and, but a lot of it is, you know, it's based on the eyes there, the uh, the inspector, right. and it has to match that record keeping. Going back to the record keeping, that's like a huge factor. That's what I'd say. Deciding. One of the biggest things, yeah, mm-hmm. is, is record keeping. And then um, it comes back here. You know, we we go through that inspection report, look at pictures, and look at receipts, invoices, uh, sales records, seed uh, sourcing, right. the whole the, everything. They do a mass balance and traceability audit there. Mm-hmm. They'll choose a crop and go through it to see if they can uh, you know, make sense of the product to make sure sure that what was planted is actually what they had sold and what was in inventory so that there's you know, you could trace it all the way through. Right, it. And it's reasonable right. that, that they had a reasonable yield for what they said right. was, was sold or what they have in you know, in, in inventory. Yeah. You got so anything everything. Everything
0: goes, everything yeah. looks good, everything's straight. Then, everything, then you can go yeah. ahead and issue their certificate. You can
3: issue a certificate and then you're good uh, till your anniversary date for renewal. In that meantime, we talk to those clients throughout the year. If they have questions or they're updating their organic system plan, it's something that's required to do immediately. Mm-hmm. So if you are adding inputs or um, crops, or, even, or crops, you know, if somebody says they want to grow, you know, lettuce in the middle of the year, then we would request that they send their seed sourcing here so we can see that they were using organic seed or if you know that they at least checked commercial availability before using that. So there's there's a lot of things that happen throughout the year outside of the renewal process, mm-hmm. but um most of it is is during the review.
1: The organic systems plan is basically the the main component of this. The systems plan is basically the description of what crops are being grown, how they're being grown, how they're being harvested, what inputs are being used, pesticides, fertilizers. The inspector shows up and basically confirms all of that and does the mass balance and other, other technical um, inspection kind of duties. And it all comes down to record keeping. If you're a grower and you're thinking about being certified, I think the main thing is really look at your your operation and see just describe start with a description what you're doing like i mentioned what what crops you're growing how you harvest and then our application is basically an organic systems plan the first time you apply with with it qcs it lays it out for yeah, you it's,
0: it's kind of a template
1: we're, we're okay. yeah it's exactly a template of um, many many other certifiers they most of the applications look very similar because again we're all basing the criteria on the federal law right. which I, I feel like we should mention the CFR is a as a the national organic program is a federal program
0: awesome I just have one final question both uh, UJC and Dan alluded earlier in the conversation about not being able to consult that that's that's a no-go you can't do that but just to clear it up for for people that want to know I mean because when you're new to this you're going to have a lot of questions is there someone, if if you call a certifier, like I said, when you're filling out the, the, the first, the initial application, can you help somebody like walk them through that? And, you know, can, I mean, is that considered consulting or can you kind of be there to say, Hey, you know, I'm reading this, this is how I interpret it. Is this exactly what you need? Do I need to add anything else? I mean, are you allowed to assist with that process?
2: We are, we are allowed to assist to some extent. If They're asking you. You can explain what the regulation... You just can't make a recommendation. You cannot make recommendations. You can advise, use a product or these products, brand names and everything else. That's not allowed. That is considered a conflict of interest. If the certifier is going to be the one who verifies compliance, they can't just say, this is what you got to do to uh, get us to certify you. And so that's part of the reason why um, that's there in the regulation. But when it comes to explaining, well, why do you you know, do I have to uh, source for organic seeds and what does it all mean? We can explain that. Right.
0: Or when or, people call to ask about uh, glyphosate, you or, can t- tell them that that's an, a solid. Correct. <laughs> if
2: somebody would say, can I spray, you just said it, can I spray this herbicide that I can't even pronounce what the right. name of it is, but I think it's glyphosate. Oh. You can't you can't use that. That's a synthetic, synthetic herbicide. Right.
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, if a grower called and asked me if they could do that, I would probably flag their record and and say that we should probably <laughs> scrutinize their. Uh, that, uh, you know. that would be a random well, inspection, a, right? Well, that's a pretty common uh, one that most people should know. That should use. know.
0: But, but like I said, yeah. there are some people that are just so new to this that the, you know there there you is. just sure. you never know. What's interesting about what's you
2: happening, and, and and I guess it's not just happening now; it's happened you know over time is that not everybody who gets into the uh industry organic industry that is has a uh farming background there's a lot of young uh, we get those conversations well there's so many people now people now that
0: are you know this it's not the the grandmas and the grandpas and the moms and dads you have people that are you know in their their late teens early 20s that immediately know this is what i want to do i mean they're not even fresh out of school they're in school and they know that i want to i want to have a farm i want to be a farmer i want to do this i want to be a part of the movement
1: the average age of a farmer is decreasing
0: it it is it's getting younger and younger and And i love it
2: dan dan was alluding to it you know when he was explaining about how he got into all of this even you know with a background and understanding there were some things about the organic regulations that you didn't really know a whole lot
1: there's a lot yeah
3: it's a really complex uh system it's and, it and that's is, a good thing too. Yeah. Um,
1: you you want it to be, you want to look at everything uh, under scrutiny and and confirm and verify that something is as clean as what they're saying it is, and you got to have that standard set of guidelines to help uh, help you along the way there.
3: Okay. And there's also this is not considered consulting, but if somebody calls and asks something like, why do we do seed sourcing, or how why is there why do you have to seek out uh, three sources before you could find something that's um, non-GMO and untreated uh, to use. And the NOP has written guidance on a number of, of issues that have come up throughout the years that aren't f- completely explained in detail in the regs where there, it's obviously there's a rule for it, but there's not necessarily a clear path into being in compliance. So we have, there are NOP guidance documents that explain exactly what they're looking for in the, in, in doing that. So for instance, seed sourcing, there's a document I could send to a client and say, this is why we're requesting it. This is not an internal policy. This is something that the NOP requires and this is why. And here's here, I'll I'll highlight it for you so that you can see that it's not just some arbitrary number that is thrown out there. Of three sources, uh, and
2: I think that that's important for both uh, farmers and yeah, consumers. But even consumers to sort of understand whether it's a consumer that is a hobbyist, you know, gardener, and is going to be growing a raised bed in their backyard and wants to do it organically. These regulations is what you know would make it organic. Even mm-hmm. or even just not, from a
0: purchase standpoint, as a consumer, to know that when I pick up this item, that everything is okay. All the regulations have been followed. Right. everything's been done the proper way.
2: And then, if you and if you really still are interested in learning more, you can go to the National Organic Program NOP website and the guidelines yeah. that you just talked about. There- you can find them there. They can, you know, contact uh, Florida Organic Growers. We also have resources and yeah. we can provide them with yes. information about these various things. And, and that's yes. really, you know, when it comes down to it, is people having the uh, peace of mind. Yeah. But if they're buying organic absolutely. there is a whole team of people and a federal regulation, sure. like you just said, who stand behind this label. Absolutely.
0: And on that note, like I said, it's just I, I can't thank you guys enough for what you do. Like I said, I thank you for being here today, number one. I mean, just taking the time out to explain to our consumers what goes into this and to the farmers of what step they need to take. But on a personal level, um I think, you know, both you, Adam, Dan and JC and And everybody that's involved in this process in the certification world for what you do on a daily basis the hard work the dedication the time that you spent you know pouring over files and just making sure that hey when when we issue this certificate to somebody that we in good faith can say everything has been done properly like I said I'm very thankful for this and I think that our consumers really needed to hear this conversation today to know that you know when when you set out to buy something organic that it it's it's a process behind it. And there's a reason why some of the things are the way they are. And that's, you know, why there's a little bit more cost associated with it. But gosh, it's it's worth it in the long run. It's worth it. So like I said, I thank you. If any of our listeners want more information on this topic, you can always log on to foginfo.org. You can send us your questions. We'll be glad to reply. You can also leave comments on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And again, we'll be glad to reply. Um, As always, we thank you for listening. And this has been your Fresh Take. Thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. As many of you already know, FOG is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. We would really appreciate your support.